Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, what I wanted to know a little bit more is, is it possible to transform organizations and come from a cold, cold place to a place where we belong. But the real question is, it, does it really matter, this sense of belonging, or is it something that we have spoken so much that is not even necessary, that we have a place to belong, which is our family, our friends, but maybe we shouldn't be looking at work as a place of belonging. Now, there is a little bit of research, of course, that's that says that belonging is a fundamental human need that is kind of hardwired in our human biology. And yet 40% of people, employees say that they feel isolated at work and the result has been lower organizational commitment and engagement. Hmm. There is of course Better Up who came up like approximately one year ago with a study saying that high belonging was linked with an increase of 56% in job performance and 50% drop in turnover risk and 75% reduction in sick days. Wow, it looks like it's super, super duper important. But now, as I have this type of questions about how do we transform these workplaces, I had the opportunity to already have a long discussion, discussion with Sophia Christensen about the topic. And the reason why I had this, this discussion is simply because she is like the monument on DEI. She has been a published co-author. She has contributed to, uh, uh, to part of the, bo uh, the book, The Secret Sauce of, for Leading Transformational Change, a specific topic in terms of DEI. She is doing research in organizational psychology at Canterbury Christ Church University. She is also teaching in the University of Denver. Oh, it looks like she knows what she's talking about. Now, <laughs> she has been the founder also of a company called Lexicon Lens that helps individuals and organizations with practical strategies and initiatives to foster organizational innovation. And part of that would be the, the area of DEI. And mm -hmm. Sophia, I'm super happy to have you uh, this time for this episode, uh, this episode of Growth Hacking Culture. So we talk about culture, yes, work culture, because this is the topic that everybody has in uh, in their mouth. And this is culture is also one of the most difficult things to solve for organization today. Yeah. Tell me, Sophia, is this sense of belonging overrated? And <laughs> we have we can pick up where to belong, and we shouldn't be <laughs> expecting that work is a place where we should be belonging. What's your opinion on that? Well, you know what? I think first of all, thank you for such a uh, wonderful introduction. Um, uh, I I am passionate about helping people feel a sense of inclusion and belonging, and I don't feel that it's a fad um, <clears throat> because I'm well ensconced into this world. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> I do feel. Let me tell you first, though, about the definitions of inclusion and belonging, right? Because they're a little bit different than what we 
think about when we're at home or with our family and, and, and friends. Um, inclusion is the sense of belonging to a group, right? And belonging is linked to scientifically this concept of uniqueness. So the uniqueness is we get to bring our, our, our own personal qualities into the workplace and they are respected and we can share them openly. So it's a, the sense of belonging is really two different things. It's both the inclusion and it is the sense of this uniqueness that we have. And if you think of a fabric that is woven together, you, you want that fabric to be strong, right? So that when you pull it one direction or another, it, it stays together. It stays in the same um, uh, position, so to speak, right? It doesn't pull too much in one direction or another. And so I place inclusion at one side of that and uniqueness at the other side. And the two together create this this feeling, if you will, of belonging in the workplace. Now, we all know that we're thrown together in the workplace, that we're very different from one another, that we're expected to not only communicate, but collaborate and to elevate our collaboration to the point where we're becoming innovative. And so when companies focus in on uh, building a sense of inclusion and belonging, they are taking a serious step to support all of their employees in equal ways to express themselves, to share, and to collaborate, um, to, to, build a, to build a sense of, um, of, of belonging in, in the culture in which they're working, if that makes sense to you. It does, and it's super good that you have pointed out about this differentiation. Um, so thinking loud, I was thinking like when you were saying inclusion, uh, this sense of commonality, then I was thinking about my teenage years when I used to have the same type of language than my peers, um, the same outfits, like there was bands together, like people who were liking rock, the people who were liking hip hop, uh, and they had a different language, so they had some something in common. So we were discussing more or less the, the same topics. While the sense of the, where we go to the area of uniqueness, it becomes a little bit more um, <laughs> more complex to uh, to do it because, yeah. I mean, if if everybody is unique, so what is the thing that is going to tie us together? How are we going to gain the respect and recognition of our uniqueness of our way of thinking? I'm still extrapolating to my teen years. Sure. It was difficult. You were kind of alone. If you were too unique, you were in this in the size of the you know the table where nobody wants to sit, and that's <laughs> that was a problem back in the days of uh, of my teenage years because I used to be a little bit of a introverted nerd. Let's put it like like that. Uh, and uh, of course, it was a challenge. So it is more difficult to reach this area of respect of my unicity, my, uh, my identity as an individual with own thoughts and be part of a big corporations, right? Yes. And so when we come to work, you know, um, 
we we put on a mask, so to speak. Some of us put on masks that are uh, thicker than other people. Um, some of us are accepted by virtue of our skin color or um, or our gender um, or our religion. We fit in. And what I'd say is that when we get into a company, those people who feel like they need to hide more of themselves than their counterparts end up feeling stressed. And when we're stressed, we're, our brains are not working. We're not able to um, problem solve and innovate at the highest levels uh, like those people who are not feeling stressed. And so that impacts our contribution, which then can be extrapolated to a promotion or development in an organization. So it's, you know, I would say that generally speaking, people are afraid of others who are not the same as them right? We naturally gravitate. And this is what unconscious bias is about. We gravitate to people who are the same as ourselves, but we can learn how to um, recognize, appreciate, uh, um, uh, and, um, and grow with people who are very different from ourselves, because even though they might be presenting differently, they could share a lot of common thoughts or values that I have, for example, but I wouldn't see that necessarily because I'm making a judgment of who they are based on the way that they show up or what they share or don't share. So from my perspective, teaching people to uh, recognize, to be aware of, to, to con collaborate with others who are different from themselves, to know how to deal with unconscious bias um, when it comes up, recognizing it and shifting it in another direction. Um, those are the kinds of active things that we can do to counter this natural des desire that we have of gravitating toward people who are the same as ourselves. Mm. And quite frankly, in organizations, if you have all people who are the same kinds of thinkers, then you're losing out, you're leaving money on the table. You're losing out on a whole other segment of the population that has something to say and to contribute and to, um, and to innovate with um, in your product or service. And so, you know, these are the things that are important for companies to understand, no matter where they're located in the world. There is two important points that you have mentioned. One is this effort that we do to fit in into the culture, but we are hiding our own identity. And I completely relate to that. And the other thing is that about the, the, the approach. In fact, you mentioned the example of... Um, religion, for instance, our diversity in terms of religion. And I still remember that maybe 20 years ago, I was in an American company and they were, they were telling me, yeah, you don't discuss religion, you don't discuss this. But yeah. what in reality, if we want to have a sense of belonging, let's discuss religion, let's discuss the, yeah. our, our difference, let's discuss even our political views if we want to, as long as we are capable of listening, the, the, uh, listening and getting this natural curiosity about the other, about why do you believe this? Uh, yeah. How does it work? 
is the it's almost like the more we get to know about the other, then we are reducing a little bit the, 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 our differences, but avoiding the topic, that's kind of stupid, right? Yeah, you're cutting out a whole part of yourself, really, that, that, that you might want to express in some way. I'm not saying that everybody has to choose to share everything about themselves. In fact, I would say, if you think of this as concentric circles that fit one into the other, you know, one of those circles is going to be where I am at work, you know, who I show up as at work. I try to show up as authentically as possible, but there are of course things that I don't share about myself with people at work. They are private. There are things that I share with friends or with family or with my partner. Um, they're not, they're not for public consumption. And so, you know, it's, it's also, um, it's also important to understand boundaries, right? We don't have to come to work and share our full selves. In fact, I don't think that that's even a real concept. I think that we need to be aware and conscious and uh, proactive about who we want to share at work and to make sure that whatever mask we're putting on, it's as authentic as possible. It's our real selves. So yes, there's room for sharing all those things that you, you mentioned um, and more. You know, if, if I look in a room and I see people who are vastly different physically from one another, um, I think, oh, wow. Okay, so we've, I'm curious right away. We've got a, we've got a lot a lot to do together. There's a lot to learn here. And then from that point, once I get people talking about different aspects of themselves, we realize that there are more common points than there are differences, mm. right? So, so belonging is not, from my perspective, um, Oh, well, a fad. I think that's the word that you used. It's not, it's not like that. I hope it's not. Um, it is, it is something that is directly related to the business that we're all engaged in. And if we ignore, again, segments of the population, if we don't have diverse teams, if we don't know how to practice inclusion, then we are leaving money on the table. We're literally leaving a big pile of money on the table. Hmm. Oh. With that said, though, hold on. With that said, though, we have a huge problem, which is that there are different segments of the population that tend to leave organizations more quickly than others. So, for example, in the United States, we see that females and members of underrepresented communities, so black and brown people, tend to leave organizations at a higher rate than their white male counterparts. And this is a cultural question. This is a shift that needs to be made. And, and so we're, we're in kind of the muck of all of that in figuring out how to um, create cultures at work that are inviting and real for people who are different than ourselves. Hmm. I, I have the impression that the, the way we interact with each other, the, maybe part of it is the communication, the verbal communication that we have. The content mm -hmm. of the communication is quite key in order to solve this, uh, this challenge with the, the, the sense of belonging at, uh, at work. Now, 
from one side, for instance, myself as a brown person growing up in a white society in the middle of Switzerland, uh, I wanted, wanted everybody to forget that I was that I was a Latino guy. I, I just wanted that they, I don't want it to, I didn't want to be defined as um, um, uh, just because of the color of my skin, because in my mentality, because I grew up uh, in this part of the world, I, I, I had the same mentality than the rest of, of, of the guys. So, the, and I guess that this is an individual choice. There are some people who would like to reinforce the fact that they are Latinos. I had some mm -hmm. friends like, uh, like that. Now, um, the interactions that we have uh, demand, in fact, that we become a little bit more transparent, that we can mm -hmm. openly say things, and that there is this feeling of, of, of candor. In fact, I, and I read that in one of your articles that you, you talk about the necessity of candor being uh, openly, like, not brutal, but uh, let's say that to be open and clear about something and it's not the gentle kind of way, hey, we love each other. We, I like Latinos, I like black people. No, it is saying things as, as they are um, in order to develop this uh, culture of, of belonging. So how important is this transparency and this candor in, in, in order to develop this uh, positive cultures of uh, where we feel belong. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, so for me, transparency and candor are directly related to the idea of growth mindset. Growth mindset, there's growth mindset and there's fixed mindset. And the yeah. good news is that we all have some aspects of growth mindset. Bad news is we all have aspects of fixed mindset, right? Um, so growth mindset is the idea that we are always wanting to learn. We're curious, mm. right? If there is a problem, we are focused on the solution. We don't take it personally. So if something goes wrong, it's not about me and who I am, and it doesn't get into um, my value, but rather it's about learning how to do something differently, right? Mm. And so the opposite of that is fixed mindset, fixed mindset being that when there is a problem, I take it personally, it's about me. Um, I, I believe that there are fixed ways of doing things, etc. So you kind of understand at a top level what the difference is between the two. So the relationship between candor and transparency fit in with growth mindset, because when you're transparent, you're communicating honestly, you're letting people know what's going on, um, and you're, you have candor, uh, honesty about, about what you're talking about with people, they value you, they respect you. And I've seen this in action. I've seen leaders transform from being... Um, people who hold things close to the vest because they believe that they're protecting their people or um, maybe maybe they maybe they don't believe that what they what they have to share should always be shared and there are some cases where it shouldn't um, but people around them the people that report to them are reading them all the time you know we read our bosses constantly um, we're, we're looking for that nonverbal communication feedback about what's happening. So as leaders, if we're not authentic about how we show up, then our inauthenticity makes other people feel insecure. 
And so it's important to, I think, find a way to have uh, difficult, important, real conversations with our colleagues and people that report to us in order to instill a sense of safety. Um, so psychological safety in the culture of an organization, as well as with, within a team. Hmm. Uh, our brain is, doesn't like uncertainty. So <clears throat> this authenticity is a recurrent pattern that we yes. always expect. So if we have always known our boss, like the way he is, he has always been authentic and not changing from one side to the other in terms of polit for political reasons, uh, then we feel more safe, as you said. Uh, That's right. Because it's, our brain is already forecasting the future and saying, oh, he's going to react like this. He has always reacted like this. That's right. So this is great. Right. This, is, uh, this is great. The, the, one of the things that you made me think is that when you were talking about transparency and candor, it's a little bit like in some families, like my family, for instance, uh, when we go into the table, we say, whatever without borders, without mm -hmm. boundaries, uh, we say whatever we think. And then we have this candor of the father or the mother to tell us when we are not doing things, even at 40, <laughs> that are still telling us uh, to behave or to, and making us a little bit ashamed in front of our partners sometimes. Uh, mm -hmm. So this candor that is protective, it is a can it's saying the things that honest truth but we know that they do it because of they care, even right. though it may sound a little bit rude and yeah. yeah. Uh, so is it almost like a family, this candor and, and transparency? Is it the, hmm. feeling like a family or this image is a little bit like at work, it shouldn't be like a family? I, I, I don't think it's so much like a family necessarily, just because there are certain things that we share with our family that, or with our best friends that we wouldn't share at work. So, but the concept is the same, mm. right? So the concept of being able to share openly, honestly, to be direct, I think is always the best policy, but to instill the knowledge and the belief in the team or the function that you're leading, that this will be a safe space. This, even though I might be giving you hard news or something that you don't want to hear, mm. um, you're still safe here. It just means that we need to do something a little bit differently. Might need might mean that you need to grow a little bit. So, you know, what are the tools then that can be focused on to help your development? Um, because in organizations that I believe show inclusion and belonging, they're learning cultures. They're places where people grow and evolve. And um, this ties in as well to inclusion and belonging, because if we're, if we're learning and if we're innovating, we are relying on our colleagues to support us in that work. And so that psychological safety piece that combats you know, our brain wiring 
to either want to move towards something or wanting to run away from it is, is quieted a little bit. It's dampened down. And that's what I think leaders need to understand when they deliver a message, no matter what message it is, be honest, understand that some people are probably going to react, but keep on saying and showing through actions that it's a safe environment, that we can all make mistakes. We can all get things wrong, but we can all work together to get them right as well. When I think back at my early years of, of my corporate life, um, mm-hmm. a, a lot has changed. So I still remember that certain advices that came coming from senior people. It was here, it is not personal. You shouldn't be sharing anything personal from a right. side. Today is a little bit more encouraged to be personal because it allows individuals to interact and at, at a more personal uh, level and, and also feel a little bit more belonging. A lot of things have changed, but the key question is that the, if the brain doesn't like change, how do we, how do we instill this change of in order to create a work culture that is more to that where there is this feeling of togetherness? Because we have all been already like people like me, we have been mapped at our early years of, of, of our working life into one pattern. It is difficult to change the patterns that back then it meant you are going to be successful if you are a little bit tough. Uh, you are going to be successful if you keep a distance with your direct reports. Uh, today, the opposite is, is said. So how do we break this resistance, this natural resistance of our brain for change in order to change new, with new behaviors? Well, another really good question. So I say slow and uh, steady wins the race. Mm-hmm. Um, most change initiatives fail the first time. I think it's something around 70%. It could be even higher. And this is because people come into a change process. They, they, they declare what it's going to be, and then they just expect people to adapt, right? Or they give them a special training that is going to help them evolve, but then people don't understand why they need to do it, right? And, and so they resist against it. And so... Um, The first thing I like to do with a change management process is to understand how people work. If there's something that I can introduce in the change process that is related to what they're already doing and maps from what they're doing to where I want them to be in a stepped process, then I will be successful. So you know, this is the same, you could take this example for losing weight, right? You declare you're going to lose weight. Well, it's not going to come off in a day. It's a process, right? It's a, it's a painful process of changing the way you eat, changing habits around exercise and lifestyle, you know, and that could take time. And so the other thing I really try to do is to help people understand, um, you know, how this particular change in an organization is going to benefit them. What's in it for them? And I relate it to some kind of personal change they might have gone through, where they opted into a process of change based on knowing that they were going to get something better out of it. 
right? Um, now, with that said, people don't like to change. And so another way that I approach change is to say, let's focus on what you're doing really well. Let's focus on your strengths and where you are with those. And let's map from those strengths back to the change that we want to create. So it's kind of going in through the back door. Um, but, but in organizations where you need to operationalize behavior and you need to, you need to um, get a whole group of people to opt into a change, it means um, figuring out what that switch is, right? What is it that you want them to change and naming that? So in the, in the instance of inclusion and belonging on teams, they might ha have numbers in an organization that show that, you know, a certain population that they actually want to attract to the organization, they are not attracting because something that they have in their culture is not benefiting those individuals. So the first thing I do is I go to the numbers and I say, well, if you want to have a a culture, an organization that attracts, for example, more black and brown people, then there are certain things that you're probably going to have to do to make this culture more inviting for those individuals. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is going to be all the way in the recruiting process very early. How are you bringing people on? How are you interviewing them? What questions are they being asked? What do you think is important to them? What kind of questions are they asking you, right? What are they seeing when they walk in the office? Who is interviewing them? Is there anything, anybody on that interview panel that resembles them physically, right? And, and then going into the whole development and the talent uh, piece of it, how are you growing people in the organization? Who gets the opportunities? Um, what kinds of programs do you have that um, are, are for mentoring uh, of particular populations, et cetera, et cetera. There are many things that you can do. And from there, then going into teams, well, how are, how are team leaders behaving? You know, what are they doing to help their people feel like they belong? And I can use the numbers from um, a DEI scorecard, right? That gives you data about who's moving up, who's moving where. Um, and I can see where there are problem areas. I can see where there are certain uh, managers who are not retaining um, a diverse group of people. And so then going in there and reminding them what the, what the switch is that we're looking for, what it is that we want to achieve and giving them the tools to achieve that and figuring out what the challenge is. It could be unconscious bias. It could be that they work on a team that is highly uh, specific in what it does. And so they have difficulty recruiting people, just generally speaking, it could be something else. And so understanding how people work, understanding where they're coming from, and then building from that spot in a very basic way helps people feel um, success and, and enables them to move forward. That's, that's true, in fact. Um, you have been working with many organizations, uh, many Fortune 500 companies. 
And we, I mean, even though diversity and inclusion is something that has probably started like 15, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. and we say that, um, there is still a learning process. And yeah. I have heard good, successful stories, uh, combined, of course, with perception of people not being happy about it, <laughs> because yeah. there is always people who are unhappy. And then there is um, horror stories, like yes, what we call stupid stuff that is done without thinking. That's right. Let's discuss about that. What is the worst that you have seen, heard oh, about the diversity and inclusion? Programs, initiatives that really is, what the hell? <laughs> well, the, they fall flat. So um, that's such a big question. Um, I'm, I'm going to answer this by saying that most of the companies that I've been involved with have not gotten it right. If they did get it right, their people would not be departing their companies. Mm. Uh, women, black and brown people would not be leaving their organizations. And so I think that leaders understand that to differing degrees. Um, and and I also think it can be further complicated in international organizations because different uh, cultures see inclusion differently than others. So it's a complex topic and it's very hard to always get it right. It's a process. It's an evolution. Mm -hmm. I don't know where the there there is. I don't know where the conclusion is. I just hope that I can plant seeds along the way to help organizations get better. Now, with that said, um, if an organization is only focused on, for example, business and employee resource groups or, um, or the things that we see, you know, scorecard data, uh, the things that we see on websites, right? When we go to a company, we look to see what the company defines as inclusion and belonging. We're looking to see how um, people uh, involve themselves in the organization. And so companies have a tendency to promote different populations so that it attracts um, people to the company, right? That they want to work there, right? Um, that they are going to get that gold star for showing that they're, they're um, pro DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But when you, when you get underneath the skin of an organization and you start looking at the numbers and you start uh, assessing the culture, then you see something a little bit different. And that is that People are not necessarily happy that what you see on that website is not exactly what's happening within the company, um, where you have, you know, global leaders who have not been aligned, right, behind the same values that the company espouses. So um, this is where the whole concept that I've been talking about, about inclusion and belonging comes into play. Um, where it's important to, to do those standard things that are best practices in DEI, but also to go 
a few steps further, and that is to instill that belief within your cultural fabric, right? That having a sense of inclusion um, on teams, having a sense of safety around expressing your uniqueness, however you choose to do that, will create that, that concept of belonging that then transforms a culture. There is two things that you have said that have resonated with me. One, one of them, of course, um, the use of surveys to validate, uh, to have like a big stars, like I'm good into inclusion or I'm good, I have the best culture in the world. Well, mm-hmm. it's not a secret in that in many corporations, you can buy this, the results. So you can be amazing in the best culture, best place to work with, with. Uh, but the reality is when you start digging in other sources of information that are also public about the culture of the company that you see like a full range of people that are unhappy and, and with information that is contradicting this survey that they, they bought basically. That's right. Yeah. That is one of the worst practices that companies and, and I think there is too many still companies who are buying yes. these, uh, these surveys. Uh, you pay, they do an assessment, and, but of course they want to keep you as a customer, so they will yeah. make you happy. The second yeah. thing that you, you mentioned is about the, the story about that the change itself is, is a process. So you cannot solve it uh, with awareness sessions of half an hour uh, of, of one half a day uh, repeating the same and God knows that we, uh, there has been too many of these uh, unconscious biases uh, awareness sessions and they do not produce a change because you need to lead, create a new habit that replaces the old habit of being biased uh, on, without realizing. And in order to do that, you need to accompany the person in order that he formalizes the process. Because if it took already so much time to define certain behaviors that we that were done in the past, it takes also a long time to, or well, some time to change this new behavior. Of course. To put it like in automatic mode that you don't think about it anymore. Because That's it's right. knowing, it's not, you cannot test inclusion with a, with a test. Everybody will score the highest rating because many of us, we know the principles. We know what it means have sexual harassment. We know what, what it means having racist thoughts. And so we can answer correctly, but do we put them in practice? That's the real, the real challenge. Yes. Too much money has been thrown out in this uh, surveys and in these awareness sessions, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, and you know, I don't think there's anything more to be said about those things. I mean, you know, a lot of bias training fails. Period. Um, it's yep. a mind shift. It's a cultural. Has to be connected to the culture. Has mm. to be followed through on, pulled through. Mm through behaviors and linked to the behaviors of the organization, right? We all, we all see those behaviors that are listed on the wall of an organization. When we walk in the door, we value X, Y, and Z. Um, But then you get into how people behave, how they work um, and whether or not they really believe that those values are espoused by their leadership 
that's another thing. And that duplicity um, is what creates the problem. That, that duplicity leaves room for racist statements, for thoughtless statements, for microaggressions, for um, bias to continue to exist. And so the other piece that we haven't talked about, but I think deserves to be said, is that when leaders see bad behavior, they have to call it, right? They have to, um, or, or else it will, it will rot away. It will be like a cancer. It will rot away at the culture. So, um, so yes, you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be done because we're human beings and we're fallible and we get things wrong a lot. Um, we're all coming into the workplace with our strengths and our weaknesses and our hopes and our desires and our assumptions and all of it. We bring it all to work with us. Um, we are asked, I hope we are all asked to develop our awareness and to put that awareness into some kind of action um, that helps everybody feel like they belong. Absolutely. And, and I don't think that, for instance, helping employees to, training employees to develop self-awareness, it is so necessary, not only for the diversity mm-hmm. in so many ways in order, in order yeah. to be fulfilled at work, in order to mm-hmm. be at work, if you help them discover what they want, because we don't have simply the time alone to think right. about who we are, what do we want, uh, we get into the flow of work and then we find ourselves completely unhappy some years down the, uh, down the line. Uh, the, the takeaway of what you said is basically that training is um, a tool, it's a tactic, it's not a strategy. Your strategy should be changing the culture so that the strategy, because the culture will affect the leaders who don't reflect the right behaviors around the, uh, the, around the organization. So culture yeah. is starting point yeah. to change behaviors at work. Yeah, yes, it's a tactic, definitely a training is. It is not the end all be all. Um, I like to think of them as being action plans. You need an action plan that's going to identify the switch that you want to make within the organization. And then you need to be able to communicate that repeatedly to different levels of the organization and engage stakeholders, your legal department, your internal communications, everyone around how to best communicate this repeatedly and how to ingrain it within the the core fabric of a of a culture and that takes time yeah so i already said said slow and steady wins the race and that's very true Uh, in this regard and you have said even that role modeling from leadership that is key because we mind behaviors like monkeys so we see our leaders behave in one way that even may contradict what comes out of their mouth and then we think that this is the way to go so if you want to keep on the bad behaviors the change starts by with the leadership uh, that's absolutely right yes it yeah and it's um it it we definitely mimic what we see that's very true yeah 
look at our kids, right? For those of us who have children, you know, <laughs> we learn as we become parents that our children will mimic everything that we do, whether we want them to or not, whether oh. we think we're hiding it or not. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just the same in the workplace. Yes. Especially the wrong things. This is something yes. that will copy super easy our kids. Um, <laughs> right. Sofia, it, it has been wonderful to have this discussion about DEI and have the a psychological perspective on that. Uh, how can people reach you out, get to know a little bit more if they have questions about the topic? How can they reach you out? Well, thank you, first of all, so much for this opportunity. It's been a very nice conversation. I've appreciated all of it. If you would like to reach me, I am on LinkedIn under my name, Sophia Christensen. And you can also reach out to me through my website, lexiconlens.com. Uh, okay, so what I'm going to do is that I'm going to be writing these two links below this, uh, this episode. Okay. So, yeah, thank you, it was wonderful. Thank, thank you, you very much. Merci beaucoup, as we said. Dorian. In the days. <laughs> Je vous en prie, <laughs> my Thank horrible you. accent. <laughs>